Hello, hello. Good to see everybody here this evening. Okay, so we're going through Genesis, right? And uh, I hope so. That's what I was prepared for. <laughs> um, in Genesis, wow, what do you think when you hear Genesis? Think about the creation, right? Think about what else? Any, throw something out? Any ideas? Huh? Abraham. Oh, yeah, the covenant God makes with Abraham. What else? The flood. Oh, right. Noah and the big boat. <laughs> all right, so um, all those things in Genesis. So Genesis covers uh, a period of time from about 2,000, 2,369 years, all the way from creation, Adam, to Joseph. Yeah, and um, most most scholars believe that Genesis was written by Moses sometime during they were wandering around the wilderness. So it's kind of good to have the perspective, right, of when this was written, who who wrote the book, and and why. So so when we think of Genesis, we get a picture of history, really, right, Moses. You can just imagine Moses going through the, the wilderness and he's got all this time on his hands maybe and, and God is, uh, well, of course, they would have had some written uh, history, but he's like putting all of this together into an organized history. We get genealogy, we get all of this. And, and of course, it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we get a cool history all, and, and an understanding of the, the fallen nature of mankind and how faithful God is, how he gives humanity chance, just opportunity after opportunity to redeem ourselves, to start over and to, to be faithful to God. But we see that humanity is fallen and we always come back to our fallen nature. So, and we see Jesus, we see God's plan of salvation in nearly every chapter in Genesis. It's so cool. Maybe not the chapter 5 that Chris went over last week with the, all the genealogy, but maybe we could have dug and found Jesus in there. I don't know. <laughs> but the plan of salvation is scattered throughout Genesis. There's so many cool little things when we look deep. So... That's what we're going to do. Today we're going to cover Genesis 6. And it starts off, let's just read the first couple of verses here. Everybody have your Bibles? You want to open up to Genesis 6? We'll start in verse 1. Genesis 6, verse 1. I'll wait a bit for everybody to get their Bibles and get them open. My heading on Genesis 6 is Increasing Corruption on Earth. And... Don't you know it? That's how humanity goes. Increasing corruption continually. So Genesis 6, 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Okay, so... Wow, right into it. You jump right off into the, <laughs> jump right off the cliff, right? <laughs> Humanity, uh, is multiplying and 
So this is where we we see polygamy right off the hand here. I mean, it seems pretty obvious um, that before this, that this was not the case. That this was a start to where men took wives, many, many wives. And uh, so there's a start to sexual immorality and polygamy here. Uh, before that, we see, we would expect that all of, well, just like the, all of the genealogy that Chris went through last week in chapter 5, is it was very easy to follow the genealogy, especially if men got married to one woman and stayed married and had these children, you know? But it, once you start into polygamy and these sorts of things, it's it's very, when people are sexually promiscuous, it's hard to tell. You know, how do you follow that genealogy? That's That's not as easy. So let's go on. What does God think about this? In uh, Genesis 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. All right. So the result, God is not happy about this. He says, Mankind, they're living too long. Let's shorten their lifespan, maybe, so uh, they will have less time to make these mistakes, maybe. <laughs> And uh, I have a 120 years limit that they will have to repent to find God. Uh, so God's not pleased with man. So uh, in verse 4, let's go on. Here's where it gets even better. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, verse 4. Let's unpack this. Um, There's quite a bit to unpack in verse 4. The Nephilim, first off, on the earth in those days and afterward. Right? So, when the sons of God... Okay, so the sons of God. Let's see what what are the... Who are the sons of God in the beginning here? Uh, Most... When I was looking this up, it says most of the scholars believe that the sons of God are referring to the lineage of Seth because Seth was considered uh, a righteous man. And so most of the scholars agree that the sons of God they're referring to are the lineage, the descendants of Seth, you know, Adam and Eve's uh, third son. Well, that is mentioned. So came to the daughters of men. The daughters of men, most of the commentary agree that the daughters of men would be considered like um, not the lineage of Seth, but the lineage of Cain, right? Because Cain is now separated and he's considered unrighteous and unholy. So there's there's a lot of <laughs> different understandings of this, but uh, this is what really makes the most sense to me. To me, they had, when the sons of sons of God, the lineage of Seth, had children with the sons of man, say Cain. Um, then we had offspring who were the men of renown, these mighty men. So let's, let's go back and look at, look at the word uh, Nephilim now, okay? Because the Nephilim is... The <laughs> oh, 
hard to go through this. Nephilim on the earth. Let's read it again so we don't get lost, so I don't get lost. Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown, right? Okay. So the Nephilim is mentioned, mentioned in two places in the Bible. Here, and then also in Numbers 13.33. So let's look at Numbers 13.33 and see if we can have any more details of who these Nephilim are. If you have your Bibles, go to Numbers 13.33. All right. So there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. All right, this version translates Nephilim to giants. In my version, it says, saw the Nephilim and the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. So we get a little bit more information here, right? The sons of Anak come from the Nephilim. All right, so it, it's, um, I believe that the translation here, the word giants, is, is a pretty good interpretation of the word Nephilim. Uh, another translation or understanding of this word could be the word tyrant. When we look at um, Goliath, we look at these these giants. Uh, we everywhere it's mentioned that these are terror. They're they're men that who are of great of large stature. If we look at uh, let's go there because that says it right there in Deuteronomy nine two. We'll get even more information here. Deuteronomy 9, 2. A people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Okay, so the descendants of Anak are these large people, large in stature, what we would consider giants. And that's who... The uh, spies that went into the promised land came back and gave this terrible report just a minute ago in Numbers of that, that there are these giants. They're the sons of Anak, and they're, they're well-known people. They're, they are warriors. They are the tyrants. So they don't want to mess with them. They, they are these mean people that the word actually... For Nephilim, it can also translate as, also has to do with falling, which is where the, many people get the idea of, okay, these were like fallen angels and they, they the, uh, uh, angels were having sexual relations with the women and so that's where these giants came from. But there's a couple problems with that, uh, belief, that understanding. For, for one thing, if angels and women, they had children, then there would be a half-breed angel man. And that is a problem because what is the salvation plan for a half-breed angel man? Uh, there's nothing like that mentioned in the Word of God at all. So that's a big problem, right? Angels are separate and, and humans are separate. We, we cannot, cannot interbreed that would be impossible for another reason here because here it is in Matthew 22 30 
you'll see what I mean. This is where Jesus is talking about telling to the Pharisees, like you, you don't understand the word. It says, uh, for in the resurrection, there will neither be Mary nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Like the angels in heaven, they are not married or given in marriage. They do not reproduce. They have no reproduction organs. So, yeah, that, that would be an impossibility. So this Nephilim, this idea that Nephilim are half human, half angel uh, beings is, is not uh, possible. Let me get back to my notes here now. <laughs> let's get back to Genesis 6. So let's go back, rehash this verse again, because there's a lot we just went over. Let's read it again See if see if we can understand what it's saying. If we read it like the Nephilim the giants, the tyrants, were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, the sons of Seth, the sons of man, came, uh, came into the daughters of man uh, and there bore them children, they were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now doesn't that, does that bring, that fits, doesn't it? If we have the understanding of that the Nephilim are the giants, uh, the tyrants of those days. And every, every time, well, when we, when we look at the word Nephilim in, uh, Deuteronomy over here, it translated as giants. And it just fit the sons of Anak, Anak, the, the terror, the tyrants. So anyway, that, that helps me, I don't know if it helps you, confusing you, but for me that, that really helps me understand where this is going. And so let's the, go on into, uh, verse five, see what, what the Lord's response here is. Uh, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. You can see God's heart here. He creates this wonderful paradise, this wonderful world. Or, or, earth, world and earth, worth, earth. And uh, he creates human beings. He desires to have a relationship with us. And what, what do we do? We go and ruin it. We just ruin everything. The thoughts of man were only evil continually. That's sad. And it says in verse 6, it grieved God, grieved him to his heart. You can see the heart of God here. He cares. He loves. He wants this good relationship with human, with mankind. But mankind continues to reject, continues to go about their evil deeds and their fallen nature. Okay, so let's go. God has a plan. Uh, in verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Ooh, praise God. We have one man who is not evil continually. In verse 9, these are the generations 
of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's also what we saw with Enoch. Enoch was a man who was righteous, and Enoch walked with God, right? And this was unheard of. Nobody else in the land, in this generation, walked with God except Noah. Noah found favor with God. Don't we want to be like that? Be known as the one who has favor with God, who walks with God. So, uh, verse 10, And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Going on. In 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Okay, we see the word corrupt a lot. So uh, when God says things several times, he usually means something in it. So if we look at the word corrupt, it's a state of decay, total wasted, uh, being destroyed, full of violence. It says, I will destroy them with the earth. So the earth is corrupted. Humankind is corrupted God is going to destroy them with the earth. That's interesting. Destroy them with the earth. Okay. So let's see how what God's plan is here. In verse 13, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through, through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Oh, we already read that one. Sorry. 14, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make the roof of the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Okay, so God has a plan. Tells Noah to build an ark. Now, remember, through this, we're looking for something symbolic of salvation that God is bringing to mankind. And we have it right here, actually. It may not look at it. We'll go back and read it. I want to explain this this part to you. Um, when I was reading from, uh, his name is Augustine, and he, what he says about this is that the ark is undoubtedly a symbol of the city of God and of the a symbol of the human body. If we look at 300 cubits, which has a three, has a tav. A tav is, it looks like a cross, right? In the original Hebrew language, it's a pictograph language, and you would see the tav as the cross, right? And, uh, the measurement 300 would be the length, and it's proportional to the human body, okay? We know that proportionally, the length, width, and height, and breadth are equally proportional to the human body. It's six times as long as wide, so 350 cubits wide, 10 times as long as is thick, so... 300, and its thickness is 30 cubits. So it's proportional to the human body. 
right? What's more is, as um, as this points out, is the door on the side of the ark says has one door, right? The door is on the side. If you imagine the 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 ark as a human body and the door on the side, he says that even the door on the side symbolizes the wound that the spear would have made going into Jesus at the lance in the side of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That I just heard that uh, a couple days ago, and that really stuck with me, just seeing that this ark even is a picture of Christ. It is the a method, a symbol, a shadow to the coming salvation that Jesus was going to provide for us. This is just a symbol. This is a, a boat, a big ark, that provided the salvation, the survival of the animals and of Noah and his family and virtually of the human race. So in the same way, Christ is the picture, is the real deal, not just a shadow, but it is he is the way that we receive salvation. And he died upon the cross, right? The wooden cross, and took our punishment so that we would be we would receive salvation. And it's it's just so amazing how we can see Jesus, we can see the plan of salvation if we are looking in just nearly every chapter through Genesis and, and through all of the throughout the Old Testament. Let's keep going here. All right, oh, and it says, make a roof for the ark, finish it a cubit above. I know we already read this, but let's go look at it again. And set the door of the ark in its side, make it lower, second and third decks. Okay, so there's three decks. This also may be symbolic, right? This lower, the first, the second, and third decks. This could be, as the ark is a picture of a human body, the first, second, and third levels can also be the three parts, mind, body, and spirit. Isn't that interesting? Okay, verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. God had a plan. It was very simple, right? Create a a method of um, salvation, if you will, for the human race and for the animals and cleanse the earth and only these who are in the ark will survive to start the new, uh, to populate the earth again. Very simple. Of the birds according to their kinds, verse 20, and of the wild and the animals according to their kinds, and every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also, uh, verse 21 Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. Wow. 
Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Don't we want to be someone who is known that did all that God commanded us to do? That should be, that is, that is my goal every, every day, waking up saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. I want to do what you want to do, not what I want to do. Isn't it just amazing how God has a plan? And there's so much symbolism in this. Very Seemingly, if we read this, it could be very... I don't know how many times I read it, but until I read it and I, and I started digging in and trying to find those key elements, right, that I could... I could dig out of this. And, oh man, there's, there's no, you could keep digging for years in just this one chapter and you could find more and more amazing things that, that are written in the Word here. The Word is, is just limitless. You know, the depth. And it's so obvious to me that it's straight breathed from God. Every word straightly breathed from God. So, as we have a tendency to do on Wednesday, kind of open it up for uh, any thoughts that you guys might have in different interpretations. I know there's, this is a very controversial uh, topic when you talk about the Nephilim and the giants and the... Yeah? Anyway, I do appreciate the uh, different views. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, go to God in prayer right now. All right, God, thank you so much for Your Word, and thank you for uh, the mystery of it, Lord. We are so amazed by everything that You have hidden in Your Word. We know that if it was simple and we could just understand it and write it off, then then we wouldn't. Maybe we wouldn't have such a uh, intense. Uh, desire to continue digging and continue to know who you are and what your purposes are. And God, you have just given us amazing uh, insight, amazing wisdom that we get through your word. And we, we just are so thankful, God. Thank you for, for the Holy Spirit, just being able to uh, reveal this, your word to us and help us to to know you more, God, and to see that we are a fallen, fallen people. And we are in deep need of your salvation. And we know that you are the only way, the truth and the life, the only way to we can have that salvation through Jesus Christ. And we uh, thank you so much, Jesus, for, for being willing to die for us, willing to take our punishment, to be the sacrificial lamb that you would wash us white as snow, make us, give us your holiness in exchange for our rags. God, we are in your debt. We we could never repay the debt that we owe, Lord. But you and your amazing grace, you have extended to us. We, we're just so thankful. And uh, God, we love you. We, we pray that you would help us to be faithful, help us to be a man, a woman after your own heart, who would do everything that we can to accomplish your will, to surrender our will to you every day, and to honor and glorify you every day in everything we do and say and think. God, I pray for that this, this coming week or the rest of this week, we would have 
experiences, encounters with you, and that we would give you every day a new refresh, that we would be able to rest in you, we'd have be have the confidence in you and who we are, that our identity would be in you, and we would go forth just proclaiming how great you are and the amazing things that you've done in our lives, how you've revealed yourself to us. And we pray that others would be drawn to us, others would be drawn to you, and we would have opportunities to declare your goodness, declare your gospel, the good news. We know that all around us in this city and all everyone that we talk to on the phone in our in our home countries, God, we pray that they see you through us. They see your reflection. They see your your light, and they're drawn to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.